Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Well, we are celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're so glad. Are you glad today that God raised Jesus from the dead? Because of the supernatural release of God's power to raise the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. You and I have been raised from the dead. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 that we are buried together with Him. Romans chapter 6, buried together with Him in baptism and then raised up together with Him. And as we are raised up, Ephesians 2 says we are not only raised up, but then we are, cons- we are, are afterwards seated together with Christ. So because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been raised and we have been seated with the Father, with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And we've had the privilege of over the last few weeks that I've been ministering on a Sunday morning talking about looking unto Jesus. And this is the culmination of that. Uh, focused right here on Resurrection Sunday, looking unto Jesus. And that phrase comes from a scripture in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hallelujah. This scripture holds in it the the triumph of the cross and that raising and seating at the right hand of the Father. And it says that we are to look unto Jesus. The previous verse had instructed us to run this race with patience, the race that is set before us. And as we're running this race, living this life, walking in the Spirit, we are to look unto Jesus. He is our focus. He is our our model. He is our objective. As we look in the mirror of the Word of God and see who we are in Christ, We can walk away from that mirror and live out what we see in the Word. Not forgetting, not being a forgetful hearer of what the Word says we are in Christ, but being a doer of what the Word says we are in Christ. Amen? Amen. And to do that, we have to know who we are in Christ. We have to know who He is. We have to know what has been accomplished and what has been uh, completed in Him. So I want to just take a moment and revisit some of the things that we've talked about previously. We discussed the fact that uh, in the earth there are three wills, three wills that can be in operation in any given situation. You have the will of God. The will of God is the perfect plan. It is the perfect will. It is the best. 
It is always what we want to give ourselves to, yield ourselves to. We also have the will of Satan. We saw him attack Eve in the garden with thoughts. She didn't know it was an attack. She didn't resist the attack, but he came bringing his will. He wanted her to do something different than God wanted her to do. And how he, uh, he gained her obedience to his will is the same way that God designed for us to be obedient to his will. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you will hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord your God to observe and to do according to all that is written in this instruction, in this commandment, then I will, I will, uh, all these blessings will come on you and overtake you. So he chose the hearing and doing of the word. The word hearken means to hear and do. It's not just listen closely. It means to hear it and do it. Hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord your God. Hear and do what the Lord says. And in doing so, you'll walk in his will. That's God's plan. Well, you know, Satan hasn't invented anything. He's not an inventor. He's not a creator. He's a copycat. And he'll try to take what God intended for our good and twist it. And so he brought his will to Eve and he presented his will to Eve for her to follow his will. And as she meditated on his words, there came a point that the Bible says that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, why did she see that? What made her see that? What made her perceive or imagine or mentally image that the tree was good for food and a tree to be desired to make one wise? The words that she had been thinking on. The, enemies, the enemy had presented that tree with a different viewpoint than God's viewpoint. And the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, to the casting down of imaginations, and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So here we have the first example for us of how Satan brought his will and exalted it above the knowledge of God. It was with a question. Did God say? And then he took from that answer that she gave, he found where he located her by her answer because her answer wasn't an established answer. Right? right? She, she was not established on the word because she said, God said, we can't even touch that tree, honey. He didn't say don't touch the tree. He gave them the responsibility to guard it and keep it. Touching the tree, if they needed to touch it and guarding it and keep it, he said don't eat it. Don't eat the fruit that comes off that tree. So she added something to the instruction. She, she brought a different, she wasn't established. She should have practiced what the Lord said. She should have rehearsed what the Lord said. Adam should have been rehearsing. 
that with they we should have been rehearsing. The Lord said, don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you eat the fruit thereof in dying, you shall die. And we're not going to do that. We are not going to eat the fruit of the tree. But somewhere that that gave that wrong perception that adding to gave a, a, a realization of how to, to respond. And so the enemy came with a response. You shall not surely die. And as she meditated on the will that was in the words of Satan, she eventually acted on it. That's why you are, are responsible to cast down imaginations and take thoughts captives because thoughts are not just harmless thoughts. Heart, thoughts are, are serious business. Thoughts carry, carry the will of God or the will of the enemy. Thoughts can contain evil or thoughts can contain health. Thoughts can contain fear or thoughts can contain faith. And so God said, my thoughts, not your thoughts. My thoughts are above your thoughts. My ways are above your ways. And then he began talking about his word. I'm, I'm thinking of Isaiah 55 where he offers man his thoughts. So we have been provided the thoughts of God that contain the will of God. If you need to know the will of God, start here. Start here. And when this is solidified and, and stable as a foundation, you can find some of those details because the Holy Spirit will be able to lead you to those specifics that you may not be able to find. Thus saith the Lord, buy the house on uh, 712 Cherry Street or whatever. You know, he, He'll give you the specifics in the, the leadings of the Lord after you've established this safety and this parameter of his written will. So the will of God is available. The will of the enemy is out here operative in the lives of many people. And then there's man's will. God gave you and I, everyone, a will of our own. And because of the way we're designed, if we submit our will to the will of God there will be a shining forth of His light into our life. And I'm using that example because what comes to me is the sun and the moon. The moon cannot produce any light. There's really not moonlight. What we call moonlight is a reflection of the light that the sun is shining upon the moon and it is reflecting it. And what we're seeing is how it's receiving from the sun. As you submit your will to God, you are in a full position to have the light of God shine upon you. And then you go out and people see what they think is moonlight, but it's really sunlight. What they think is light that's coming from you, but it's really coming because I'm submitted to the will of God. So everything I'm shining forth really didn't, I, I don't have any power in myself to produce light, but I have the full potential to reflect the light of God, to shine forth His light, to let Him to be the, the uh, reflection of Jesus through me. Amen. 
So, in the same way, if a person refuses to submit to the will of God, by default, they have submitted to the will of the enemy. That doesn't mean they're demon-possessed, but it means that he is, he is manipulating things. There's no resistance for any evil thing he wants to do in their life. There's no resistance. You can have people that have been taught good morals and make good choices, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have submitted their life to God. And that person, even with the good choices and the good morals, they will be protected somewhat just because of a little bit of wisdom that they're operating. But they won't have the protection of God to help them resist what the enemy would want to do in their life. And so we've got to recognize so that we know to resist thoughts that would lead us away from the will of God and submit ourselves to the will of God because the words are the way that that will is conveyed. God conveyed His will to us in His words and if we reject His words, we're rejecting His will. If we accept and yield to and hearken and act on His words, then what we're doing is we're employing the will of God to have its full operation in our life. Amen? So we talked about that. I want to look at Romans chapter 5 as we move into uh, 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 our next point here. Romans chapter 5 and verse 17 says, For if by one man's offense, and that word offense is talking about his sin, his transgression, where Adam sinned. If by one man's sin, death reigned by one. So spiritual death reigned because of Adam's sin. When Adam sinned, spiritual death entered in. Remember God said, in eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in dying you shall die. That was the original literal Hebrew language said, in dying you shall die. Two deaths are in that word. It's a plural death. Well, he didn't die physically for 900 and some odd years. But he died spiritually the moment they ate of the fruit. And we see that because he's hiding from God. We see that because he has fear. He has shame. He had not experienced fear or shame before. But spiritual death entered and spiritual death reigned. It said, praise God, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. We will reign in life by Jesus Christ. So life reigns in us. Death doesn't reign in us. Life reigns in us. We are no longer under the law of sin and death. We are under the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So this law of the Spirit of life is not only reigning in me, to govern. Reigning is talking about leading and governing and setting the parameters and, and establishing the rules. Life establishes the rules for me. Amen? The, the life, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life is, is the rule setter for my life. 
Amen? So I don't, I don't allow fear. If fear tries to come and have its operation in me, I recognize it and say, no, I do not have to be afraid. God instructed me to not fear. Thou shalt not fear. Fear thou not. He instructed me not to allow fear, so I resist fear because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Sickness does not have the right to deteriorate any joint, muscle, ligament, or organ in my body. It doesn't have the right, but I have to resist it with the, the law of the Spirit of life. I have to raise up that standard of the law of the Spirit of life and say, no, in the name of Jesus, I will flourish. I am like a tree planted by the rivers of living water. My leaf does not wither. Amen. My, I am healed by His stripes. If I'm not raising up that standard, sickness is a trespasser. It'll trespass. But it doesn't have to be permitted to trespass. If you, if you catch a trespasser, you have the ability to kick them off your land. Amen. And so raise up that standard against that spirit of, uh, or that uh, spiritual law of sin and death because we're no longer under that law. It doesn't have any, it doesn't reign in me. I'm, life is reigning in me. I'm reigning in life. And so it says that through Jesus Christ, by one Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the one who has connected us to this life. We uh, looked at the importance of, uh, or the need, you could say. God had more that was necessary to rescue us than just to forgive our sins. The forgiveness of sin alone would not have solved the real problem. The real problem was that we had been made sinners by nature and that was that would continually keep us at a limited relationship with God and so God not only had to provide a forgiveness of sin that was a a definite part of it but he had to stop the sin nature from causing you to continually need a forgiveness of sin if forgiveness of sin was the only thing in redemption then that's some people believe that that that's all there is. That's all they put their faith in. And because of that, they still see themselves as sinners and they're always needing to be forgiven of sin because it is rampant in their life because they've never accepted the nature of God in them that Jesus has made them to be. The righteousness of God in Christ. If we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ, our nature has been changed. It says in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 that we were by nature children of wrath. Past tense. It says we were all there by nature children of wrath. But we're not there today. Peter says that we are made partakers of God's divine nature. So in Christ, in this redemption in this victory and triumph of the cross and the resurrection from the dead, we have been changed to the point that we are a brand new creature. We are new in nature. All of our sins have been cleansed 
Not covered, cleansed. Not covered, cleansed. Not covered, cleansed. Woo, thank you, Lord. Not covered, cleansed. Washed away. So that you try to bring it up and, well, God, you remember when I did that? He, what are you talking about, honey? I don't remember that. That's the blood of Jesus. Because of His cleansing blood, we are new in nature and all of our transgressions have been blotted off the books. Cleansed. So if they're off God's books, we need to take them off our books. We don't need to bring up and remember and live under the shame of something that the blood has cleansed us from. Amen? But we need to allow our our change of nature and our new creature in Christ status to be the position we're living from. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So we talked about, and I'm just going to revisit quickly, uh, the importance of believing that Jesus was born of a virgin and became a man. And we recognize because death reigned upon all that every person born in Adam's lineage, every descendant of Adam was born with sin in their blood. Sin contaminated, if you will. There there were none of the descendants of Adam capable of redeeming us. To be a legal redeemer, it needed to be a man, but there were no men on the earth who were qualified with clean blood, with sanctified blood, with holy blood, to be able to do what needed to be done in paying for our sin. So there were no human beings alive throughout all of these ages who could have qualified, no matter how good they were, no matter how much they obeyed God, no matter how much they kept the law, because of being Adam's descendant, because of being born of Adam, they were disqualified from being a redeemer. So when Jesus came into the earth, He said in the book of Hebrews, a body you have prepared for me. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5. Wherefore, when he comes into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you wouldest not. Another translation said, You did not desire. God did not set up a system of blood sacrifices as his perfect plan and his perfect will. It was not his desire. And it really wasn't producing the relationship with man that God created us to have. It instead kept us at a limited distance. It kept us at a a position where we were um, uh, in a, a... Uh, holding pattern. You know what? They have airplanes and they can't land them yet and so they put them in a holding pattern. And I look at the Old Testament sacrifices as a holding pattern. Hallelujah. 
And in that holding pattern, we were not able to have the full relationship with God that he desired. We were not able to experience his best that he desired. But it was, it was a holding pattern until the blood could be shed that would cleanse us. Amen? In Christ, we've been taken out of that holding pattern and been able to land into the will of God. Amen. And so he said, a body you have prepared me. A body you have prepared me. So God prepared a legal way for Jesus to enter into the earth because for him to be our redeemer, he had to be a man. But he had to be a man that had blood that was not sinful blood. He had to be a man that was alive unto God. He had to be a man who was spiritually alive, you could say. And so a body was prepared by the Word. How did God create the first Adam's body? He, he, he created the first Adam's body out of the dust of the earth, but then He breathed into it the breath of life. He breathed into it the breath of life. Well, the words of God contain His breath. And so when God sent His Word to Mary concerning Jesus, you shall conceive and bear a son and His name shall be called Emmanuel and He, he will, uh, the government will rest upon His shoulders and He will be the Redeemer that contained His breath. And when she said, be it unto me, that breath of God went right into her womb and created the flesh of Jesus. That's what the Bible says. It says, let's look in John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Hallelujah. Verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word, Jesus, before He came into Mary's womb, before He was born of the Virgin, He existed. Jesus has always existed. He's all, he he had, was, look at verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him there was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So, so the Word has always existed. Jesus has always existed, but He hasn't always had a human body. He always existed in the form of God's Word. And God sent His Word and He healed them and delivered them from all their destruction. He sent His Word, Jesus. And Jesus became a man. He was made in the fashion of a man, Philippians chapter 2. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 6. 
who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Can you show me verse 6 in the Amplified? Being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. I think this is an interesting word because, or verse because when you, when you began to study it out, you began to realize that he, it says, although being essentially one with God and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God God, he did not think this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained. He did not think this equality with God prevented him from becoming a man. Or you could say, he didn't say, ooh, a man. you want me to be a man? You want me to leave who I am as God and go be David King's brother? You want me to leave who I am and be Larry Clemens' brother? You want me to go be a human? He did not look at that as something that was disgusting or beneath him. He did not look and say, for me to set aside my omnipotence. Remember it said all of the attributes which make God God. Think about what are those attributes? Omnipotence. Jesus had to set aside his omnipotence. He had to set, his, set aside his omniscience, all-knowing. He had to set that aside and come as a man led by the Spirit of God. Come as a man who was uh, 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 alive unto God in his spirit and he had to read the Word. Jesus was a student of the Word because that's how he, as a man, was able to, to, to recognize and to grow. It says he grew in wisdom and favor. You grow in wisdom in your spirit. Jesus did not, Jesus was omniscient, Jesus was uh, omnipotent, Jesus was omnipresent, and he had to come and be in one body. He had to leave behind omnipresence. And, and he said, I do not think it is beneath me to set aside my omnipotence, my omniscience, my omnipresence, to come down and to take my place as a kinsman redeemer to purchase humanity and to carry my body sinless through 33 and a half years on the earth I don't think it's beneath me to be tempted. I don't think it's beneath me to, to overcome the devil. I don't think it's beneath me. He created the wind and now he's having to speak to the wind and the waves. He said, that's not beneath me. I'll do that for you. I'll do that for you. I'll do that for you. I think you're worth that. He did not look at that as something that was uh, uh, a, a, a demotion. Because God doesn't look at you as second-class citizens. He does not look at us as humans. He said we're family. He, 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 crea- he didn't create the angels to be family. He did not create the angels to be His sons and daughters. He created us. We are the sons of God. We are the sons of God, yet it does not yet appear. We are the sons of God. You may not see all that is involved in my sonship, 
But the more I'm in the Word, the more I recognize I'm a child of God. And I am above only and not beneath. The curse has no authority to operate in my life. I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. I'm always going over, never going under. I am walking in the will of God, obedient uh, to His, his promptings, uh, submitted to His plan. Hallelujah. And Jesus, He came as a man. It says, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation. Made Himself of no reputation. It said there was not one thing made that He didn't make it. But He made Himself of no reputation. He didn't come in the room and say, I made that. Hey, I created. You see how this earth is, is, is orbiting around the sun? I did that. Uh-huh. I'm the one who hung the moon in the sky. You know the reason why the seashore stops right here? I did that too. He didn't, he didn't come. He made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself. He, he made himself of no reputation. He didn't come and say, I am the second person of the Godhead. I've been in the beginning with God. It says, He took upon Him the form of a servant. Who is He serving? Who is He serving? He's serving the Father by serving us. He's, his, his will was to do the Father's will. He said, I only come to do what my Father wants me to do. I'm here to do, my Father sent me. My Father sent me. He was a submitted servant. That, that delegated authority from the Father came because the Father sent him. Yeah. Amen? So he said, I am sent by my Father. I've come to do what he told me to do. I've come to say what he told me to say. I only do what I see my Father do. He was a submitted servant. And he came to serve the plan of God. What was the plan of God? I want you to see two things. Hold your place here and look at Hebrews 10 again. Go back to Hebrews 10. It said, he comes into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering, verse 5, you would not, but a body you have prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have had no pleasure. So God was never pleased with any of those temporary blood sacrifices. He said, verse 7, then I said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, I come to do your will, O God. I come to do your will. Do you see that? He came to do God's will. He came to do God's will. Hallelujah. Verse 8 of Philippians. Go back to Philippians. I hope you held your place there. Philippians 2, verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. Obedient to what? Obedient to the will of God in dying. Obedient. He, he, that's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was praying to the point that great drops of sweat filled with blood was coming through his pores. He was 
submitting his will to the will of God for him to die. Because for Jesus to die, he had to die more than physically. He didn't die like Lazarus died and got raised up physically from the dead. He died the way we had died when Adam ate the fruit of the tree. He died spiritually. And then he died physically. He died spiritually when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He'd never been separated from the presence of the Father. He'd always been with God. He had forever been in the presence of the God, the Father. And suddenly on the cross, he became sin. And when he became sin, his spirit died unto sin. And he paid the wages of sin, which is spiritual death. He was still breathing. His blood was still in his veins at that point. But then he gave up the ghost. He died physically. He died spiritually first. And then he died spiritually, or physically second. He was obedient unto the death. He had to submit his will to die. He had to submit his human will because that's where Adam had failed. Adam had disconnected his human will from the will of God. And Jesus, who is referred to as the last Adam, had to submit his will and and maintain that submission even to the point of death. Because death was what was necessary to pay the wages of our sin. Jesus had never sinned. He didn't owe that debt. He didn't have a debt to pay for himself. He didn't die because he had to pay for his sin. He died to pay for yours and mine. Hallelujah. In... Hold your place in Philippians and look at Isaiah 53. And let's begin in verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Or could you say, to do your own will? And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. And that in the original language again is a plural. In his deaths. 
Because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord. Remember, I've come to do your will. Sacrifice and offerings don't please you. Sacrifice and offerings don't please you. But it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Why didn't the sacrifices and offerings of the blood of the bulls and the goats please God? Because it did not bring us into fellowship with God. It, it kept us from destruction, but there was no relationship in the way God designed it to be. But it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord when Jesus became our sacrifice for sin. He hath put him to grief. When you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he will prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He will see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By, by the knowledge of him, you should say. By his knowledge, by knowing Jesus, shall my righteous servant justify many. By the knowledge of him shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear, and that word bear means to completely remove. He will completely remove their iniquities. Hallelujah. He removed our sin when He paid the price and shed His blood and God raised Him from the dead to justify us. The forgiveness of our sins was accomplished with the blood shed on the cross. But the raising up and making you a, a new creature and seating you at the right hand of the Father, that's the justification. He's justified you. He was raised for our justification. He was raised for our justification, the Bible says. He was raised for our justification. Hallelujah. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that if Christ be not raised, then our faith is in vain. And we are all helpless and hopeless. But He is. He has been raised. And so there's hope for us. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 2 again. We're going to finish right here. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 2. Being found in the fashion, verse 8, of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He became obedient unto the will of God, unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Hallelujah. Because of his obedience, because of his fulfilling the will of God, God has highly exalted him and positioned him in this authority 
giving him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. 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 We serve a risen Savior, a conquering King. Hallelujah. He's alive and leading us into the perfect will of God. Amen. Just lift your hands and thank Him for being your, your Redeemer, your Justifier. Father, we honor and we respect the sacrifice of your Son.